0: Joining us now, as he always does every single week, to talk sports, whatever's going on. But mostly the NBA playoffs, that's where his bread is buttered. And uh, he is a former high school scout. Not that he scouted high school players, but while he was in high school, he scouted basketball instead of playing. He was the big-time scouter. He's a man who is a a podcast award-nominated host. Good friend of mine, long live the DL, Sam Duesenberry Jr. What's up, Sam D? Sam? Uh-oh. There we go. There How it about is. Now? Yeah, I got you now. Okay, so I had a whole I had
1: a whole uh, soliloquy going, but let me see <laughs> if I can run it back. Uh, Gee, G, I come to you a humble man. I come to a man that is here to pay homage, a man that believes in empathy, believes in remorse, believes in forgiveness, and I am here to pay homage to one Solomon Hill. I know we will get there at some point, but I just want to preface it up front for anyone who's used to me coming on and used to the rhythm that me and you have, he's been a battering ram of mine for at least a month now for probably this whole entire playoff run but after last night I'm here to make amends I'm here to cop no please I'm here to give this man his flowers so whenever you're ready for that we can go ahead and do that but as always it's always great to join you my friend
0: well I think uh, I think we should do that right off the bat because somebody on Twitter just followed me and said gee I love your show but when you but you really did a rundown of Hawks players you were going to talk about and just said Solomon Hill second, like what with a big time laughing gif going on there. And I said, I responded, well, yeah, my man, Sam Dusenberry jr has been beating down Solomon Hill. And both of us really have been for good reason, beating down Solomon Hill because he has not been playing up to snuff or playing at all. Really when he's gotten the opportunity, but last night he played 20 minutes and was actually pretty decent. So, I'm going to leave it to you. Just tell me, why do you feel like you have to pay homage to the great Solomon Hill?
1: Well, it comes to, are you able to do your job? And that's something where in the last series against Philly, Solomon was being exposed. He was being targeted. He was being switched up by the Sixers. They had enough wings that could expose his defensive liabilities at his advanced age. For some reason, the Bucks were not able to do that. They were not able to single him out. He played solid defense. He looked engaged, and he made a difference. You know, he was on the floor in the waning minutes of the game.
0: He was. That
1: matters. Uh, it's not, you know, him being a starter because they, they're so bereft at the wing position. They actually leaned on him and counted on him. Now, he's not a box score guy. He's not going to fill up the stat sheet. He's a guy that you have to kind of watch him to see his impact. And I watched him in that fourth quarter because I was a little surprised that he was getting so much extended time with the one. So was, along with Herter and guys like that. So I was like, wow, okay, let me, let me lock in on Solomon and see what he's doing. And he was able to tip some passes. He was engaged in a defensive end, which is all you can ask for for a veteran of his, of his status. So He was able to really go into the game and really make a difference, even though if you look at the box score, the stats look trash. But Solomon Hill is not a guy you look for for stats. He's a guy that can come in occasionally, hit an open shot. But more importantly, he is not supposed to get destroyed on defense. And this is not the Philly series. He's moved on like a true vet should. He's now locked in on the box. So props to him. It's one game. We'll see how, how this goes going forward. Maybe the Bucks realize if Coach Butt could ever make an adjustment. Maybe he'll realize Solomon Hill is out here getting some major runs. Let's expose that. For one night, I will pay my respect and pay homage to Solomon Hill.
0: Mm. For one night. We'll see if that continues throughout the rest of this postseason. will not hold my breath. But, yeah, he was uh, he was solid, and he played major minutes down the stretch and in the waning moments, as you mentioned. and. You know, I think it, it's partly because DeAndre Hunter's not there and Bogdanovich just doesn't look right. He doesn't, that knee is, there's still something a little wrong with it. So if he can come in and just play his role, don't try to do anything outside the ordinary, he'll be okay. Before we get into this game from last night, because I obviously do want to jump into this this Hawks-Bucks game from game one, I think we have to step, we have to take a step back and talk a little bit about the Hawks finishing off the 76ers because we didn't get a chance to really talk about that and the ineptitude of Ben Simmons and where you feel Philly goes from here just to take a step back from the Hawks and just quickly turn towards Philly and them losing this series to the Hawks, which, frankly, I don't think they should have lost this series to the Atlanta Hawks, but the Hawks did win and, and they move on.
1: Yeah, it says more about the ineptitude of the 76ers than the you know overachieving of the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, I did a whole little quick mini episode on Ben Simmons just yesterday morning. And the the main takeaway for me is Philadelphia, you're stuck with them because you're not going to get fair trade value or maybe not even decent trade value for Ben Simmons. You know, there's a popular Twitter thread of, you know, trades for for Ben Simmons. And the most popular one is CJ McCollum for Ben Simmons. And, gee, you, you know how I feel about C.J. McCollum. Mm-hmm. I'm not the biggest C.J. guy. But when you're talking about a guy that's elite defensively, which Ben Simmons actually is, and elite from a playmaking perspective, which Ben Simmons actually is, C.J. McCollum is not those things. He can score. I don't know if you make him a, a key number two option, if he can give you the same stats that he did in Portland. I'm not sure of that. But just the fact that the this man was almost traded for James Harden eight months ago, and now the value has plummeted. When now people are really getting behind the potential CJ McCollum for Ben Simmons trade, kind of tells you all you need to know. I think with with Atlanta, they did a great job of taking advantage of a choking team. Doc Rivers couldn't do anything. Ben Simmons is an enigma. Tobias Harris is, has internal feuds with certain people in, in, in the organization, from what I'm hearing. And Joel Embiid was hobbling around on one leg. You know, the Hawks took care of a wounded animal and they put him out of their misery and seven.
0: Sam Dusenberry Jr., again, our guest here in the on The Word with G. Yeah, the Hawks did well to get past the 76ers. And yeah, even though Ben Simmons was very inept in Doc Rivers' lack of creativity and adjustment, the Hawks, as you mentioned, overachieve and and they get the win. And what I really felt like in that series, Sam, and I talked about this towards the end of that game in game seven, Ice Trey's been really good this entire postseason, but he was ice cold in that Game 7. He was terrible in that Game 7 until it seemed like Philly started to try to bully him a little bit and push him around, and Ben Simmons trying to snatch the ball from him. You fired Trey, Trey Young up, and he got going a little bit to kind of help close that game for the Hawks.
1: Well, he, he's a closer. Um, it's, it's, it's a term I use uh, with people like Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, Dame Lillard, they have that kill switch. And you need to have that kill switch, even if you're not a true number one option. You know, some guys, There's, you know, Robert Ory probably has the ultimate kill switch for a guy that was never even thought of in terms of an offensive option. Uh, Trey Young seems to have that same type of mentality, that same kill switch. So in the fourth quarter, no matter what his stats look like, no matter what his shooting percentage is, he's not scared to put that rock up when it matters most. And not every guy, as we've learned with Ben Simmons, although if you've paid attention, you've known that about Ben Simmons since he was in college, some guys just don't have that built-in kill switch. Very few can develop it, but it's usually a thing you either have or you don't. And one team, every team that has won a championship has had that type of a player. I'm not saying the Hawks are going to win a championship. They're probably the, the least favorite team outside of the Clippers. To win the championship at this point, but in regards to, do you have a guy that can close a game out, close a series out, close a championship out? The Hawks do have that in Trey Young.
0: Yeah, so that that was my question that I posed right off the top, and it's something that I wrote down because I think you and I were in were in agreement that Trey Young. Is not the best player on a championship team. But honestly, Sam, like going into this series, I don't know how you felt about it. It might be different after game one or it might not have changed. But going into game one, just looking at where both of these teams are, whether it be the Hawks or the Bucks, I kind of felt better about where the Hawks are right now rather than the Bucks. I, I, I just feel like I have a better sense of what that team is compared to what the Bucks are.
1: Well, if you look at what the Hawks are able to do, right, it's a very simplistic system. It's not complex. Uh, if you watch enough Hawk games, by the way, by, by the side of the court, Trey Young brings the ball up, you kind of already know the action that's going to come off of that, right? Like you don't even need to see the play call or anything like that. You know if he comes to the left side, you know what pick and roll is, is coming, you know from what side it's coming from, and you pretty much know what player is going to do it. Same thing on the right side. So it's not like they're running some sort of complex system here. So that translates easier in the playoffs when teams are predicated on trying to stop your pet plays. You can't really stop a pick and roll. Like that's really all it is. We saw for, you know, damn near over a decade with Stockton and Malone. And we've seen it with guys like the Beard and Kevin Durant. They run that pick and roll, and there's not much you can do. It's not necessarily unstoppable. It's just you kind of have to pick what defensive philosophy you're going to have on it. Are you going to press? Are you going to trap? Are you going to drop? Are you going to sneak? There's a few things there that you can do to do a pick and roll. But if you don't have the horses to really run what you really want to do, now you're stuck. Most teams don't have the horses to trap hard off the pick and roll to get the ball out of Trey Young's hands. Most big men in this league can't cover him on the switch. So the guard has to fight over that pick. And then the big has to decide, am I gonna try to trap or try to step up or am I gonna drop and allow him to come closer to me and maybe I could block the shot or affect the shot? But when you have Trey Young who's almost perfected the floater or is able to be dynamic enough to fake the floater and throw the alley over the top, or now if you saw last night where he did it a couple of times with Capella, where he instead of throwing it over the top, he gave Capella a couple of drop off passes because everyone's looking for the alley. Now he's faking the alley, and now he's dropping it off off the bounce or, or a little wraparound to Capella or John Collins to get the dunk. There's so many options. So this Atlanta Hawks offense, as simple as it looks, if you have a player who can run it, and I've called in the question whether he can run it. I'm, here to, I'm not here to run away from that. He has shown he can run it. I just wonder, can he do it when the other team has the horses to stop?
0: At that play, Sam Dusenberry Jr. Again, our guest here on the Word with G, and that's what I—that's kind of what I'm getting at with the Hawks. That it's just so simple, and they just run it to such perfection. And you just alluded to the fact that they—they they have different variations uh, off of that those couple of set plays, whether it be the alleyoop, the dump off pass that that Trey introduced last night. For the most part, he's got that floater game. He can, you know, if you go under the pick and you're fighting and you give, you know, him some airspace. He can knock down any shot that you want to give him. So it's just that I feel like this team is just on such a roll right now in terms of they know exactly how they want to attack you and they just do it. And they have the guys that don't go out of their way to do anything extra that they're not used to. And they don't have anybody that's, oh, should he shoot more? Shouldn't he shoot more like Ben Simmons or a Giannis Antetokounmpo? They have their guys and they know their roles. And it just seems like they're just gelling and rolling so well right now they just have their identity, and they know what they want to do, and they know how they can beat you.
1: And you have to look at the fact that they were able to get rid of some people. And you know I love the point guard, but the point guard wants to do things the point guard way, right? So maybe instead of Kevin Herter being able to come off the bench and kind of handle the ball a lot, or you have a Lou Will when he comes in, he's able to handle the ball a lot and get to his spots and shoot the rock. If Rondo was still there, you probably don't see this ascension of Kevin Herter because of when Rondo has the rock with, with, with the bench squad, he's orchestrating everything. He's very much like the point fraud, and everything goes through him. Now that the point fraud is out and you're bringing the, just a bona fide bucket, and Lou Will, who was able to give you some, some points last night and had some, some decent little run there. Now it's a free for all. Anybody who's hot can get the rock and just go. If it's Gallinari, he's getting the shots. If it's Herter, he's getting the shots. If it's Lou Will, like how he did against Philly in that series and the big road win, I think that was game five, he can go in and go off and just do what he does best. So everyone, as you mentioned, everyone knows their role. Everyone is sticking to their role. No one's trying to play outside of themselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And here's the question I'll throw to you. Yeah. As I don't know if, I don't know when DeAndre Hunter's coming back. Maybe you've heard things that I haven't, but with Tam Reddish being close, you know, he was shooting around before the game last night. I don't know what Hunter's status is. Should they even temper with the rotation, temper with the rhythm that the team obviously has by bringing in guys who might clearly be better, but maybe not right now. What do you think the Hawks should do with these two guys potentially being on the men and being close to coming back to action.
0: Well, I I just looked up. I hadn't really heard much about DeAndre Hunter. And honestly, looking up different news and and things about him online, the most recent article I can see here is a week old. So there's really not a whole lot of new updates on DeAndre Hunter. And it's it's sort of disappointing because he played so well in that Knicks series in round one and then re-injured himself. But if you're talking about Cam Reddish, look, he's a guy who, if he's healthy and I think – with where Bogdanovich is right now, not fully healthy, I think that might be a helpful piece to have a healthy Cam Reddish to come in and play. I know it's a new piece that you kind of throw in there, but you just say to Cam, hey, look, you don't have to go out of your way and do anything special. You've seen how this team is playing. Just fit in. Take your shots when they're there. Continue to move the basketball. And they wouldn't throw him out there for like 30 minutes in the first his first game action, I assume. They'd probably try to ease him in a little bit. But I think he can be specifically somebody who can help, especially with Bogdanovich a little bit banged up.
1: Now, let me make you Nate, Nate McMillan. Okay. Whose minutes are you cutting to give to give Cam some run?
0: Well, that's the thing. Like Bogdanovich isn't playing at his full capacity right now, so I think you kind of split a little bit with that, and maybe you try to work in a little Solomon Hill and a Kongwu, and you kind of just have that nice little mix and see who is working and who's not.
1: Yeah, that that, that one's tough for me. As, as much as McDonald's hobbled, he's he's still a threat, and I think he he that type of threat you're not going to get. Obviously, in Solomon Hill, you know, you're not going to get that threat in Cam Reddish because you want to see what what he looks like off this injury, and he's been down for so long. So I I agree with you. I'm just a little wary of taking away minutes from a guy, even as hobbled as he is, and ineffective as he can look at times. You know, fighting through this injury. He's still a threat. He can still get you a bucket. He can hobble around there and still be a decoy of sorts. Whereas your other options, including Cam Reddish, at this point, you don't really have that type of threat. But I, I do agree with with the premise. It's just it's hard for me to trim a guy's a minutes like that in Bogdanovich, who's been
0: so good
1: and is fighting through the injuries and is trying to give you everything he can. It's just hard for me to cut that type of guy's minutes.
0: Well, I mean, you're the, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, Cam Reddish stand that I've talked to. And with Bogey only playing 27 minutes last night, going one for six from the field, I mean, if he's not playing all that well and he's not healthy, I mean, if 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 you like Cam enough to be go out there and be a guy who you I know you believe in as a shooter can go out there and knock down shots, he's a guy that if he starts seeing the ball go in the basket a little bit, he can kind of start maybe getting on that role and be a guy who can come in and be what Bogdanovich had been before the injury. For
1: sure, Cam Reddish can go in there and give you 20. Like, let's let's be clear. And and as you said, you know how high I am on Cam Reddish. My concern is after being down for so long, if if Bogey is is really hobbling out there and struggling again, now I'm dusting off Cam Reddish. And now you're kind of expecting something. Because it's not like he can't go out there and give you a Solomon Hill production. Cam Reddish is too good to go out there and give you a Solomon Hill stat line and still find a way to be productive. He's kind of a stat filler. He'll get you a couple of boards. He'll get you a couple of dimes. He'll 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 give you a couple of buckets. He'll get to the line. So if if you cut Bogey's minutes, and I'm not I'm not afraid to do that. I'm just concerned now. You're placing expectation on Cam Reddish, fresh off the scrap heap and fresh off marinating. On the sidelines for such an extended period of time.
0: Sam Duesenberg Jr. hanging with us here on the word with G talking Hawks Bucks trying to figure out what to do if Cam Reddish comes back. Before we get to a break, Sam, I wanted to throw this at you because in your one of your previous answers, you you had mentioned how you you didn't really feel like the Bucks had the personnel to kind of guard against what the Hawks do so well and to make it difficult for them. What does it do? do? Any of the teams still left? Any of the four teams have? What the personnel it takes to stop that sort of deadly pick and roll and trying to make that big decide? Okay, do I go out and defend the the, the, the guard? Do I play off for the alley oop? Do I defend the floater? Is there anybody in this postseason still left that that has that personnel to help really slow down what the Hawks do so well?
1: Well, let's uh, let's look at the bigs that are still left, right, and that are healthy. You have Zubac. Do you see Zubac? Bearing any better than Brooke Lopez did last night?
0: Absolutely not. The way that he looked going up against that alley-oop attempt on DeAndre Ayton, absolutely not.
1: Right. Now, you just mentioned DeAndre Ayton. He's young. He's athletic. He's got ups. He goes up against pick and rolls in practice all the time. So I would assume DeAndre Ayton should be good enough to potentially stymie that. However, If you look at what the Clippers are supposed to be on paper, if they were healthy, if you have Paul George, who's 6'9", you have Kawhi, who's 6'8", 6'9", you have Serge Ibaka, who's 6'10", 6'11", you have the Morris Twins, 6'9", 6'10", those types of guys who you want on the floor to try to slow down that Trey Young thing, that that pick-and-roll thing, because they're big enough and athletic enough to not only drop, and play the five and try to block the alley or the drop-off, but they're also athletic enough and agile enough to step up and trap, press, force the rock out of the tree on the handle, or at least make the floater tougher, or the little mid-range pull-up at the elbow tougher. So the Clippers, if they were healthy, would actually have the horses, but they're so beat up and so unhealthy, and they might not even make it to the finals to potentially face the Hawks, that now you have to look at the Suns, where you're hoping it's Aiden we would like to think he's young enough and agile enough, but if it's not eight, now you're talking about Saurich. That's not going to work. So, you know, it's, it's, you have to have a four or five that's athletic, agile enough that he can press and guard the four guard the ones, excuse me, and still be able to not, not get crossed up and all that stuff, but then be able to be agile enough to be able to backpedal and drop coverage. And maybe block the alley or be active in the passing lanes to block the drop off. There's not a lot of bigs who are able to do that, and there's certainly not enough that's left remaining in the playoffs right now.
0: And you don't think that the Bucks have what it takes to to be able to slow that down? Uh, uh,
1: unless Giannis is going to play the five. Well, and, Bucks, and what we saw last night, Lopez I think he, he might
0: floor. he might have to. You, it might be better to to not have Brook Lopez on the floor for a ma- major minutes.
1: But then that means you have PJ Tucker at the four or the five. And if I'm the Hawks, that's what she is. As great as he is, that's tough and stocky and sturdy, and he's a vet. If I'm John Collins and I see P.J. Tucker on the block, that's barbecue chicken, or at least it should be. And you saw him drop 20-plus last night. So if if P.J. Tucker is forced to put up 30-plus minutes for an extended period of time, that to me means barbecue chicken. Somebody on that Hawk roster that's over 6'8", has to go on that block and body up uh PJ Tucker.
0: So it sounds like you like the Hawks over the Bucks too so far.
1: Uh, I I won't go that far. <laughs> I I won't go that far. They right, certainly so, can do it. Wait, wait, let's 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 tease see it. See
0: it. Can we tease it? Can we save it for next segment? Sure, 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 sure. All right. Let's tease that. Let's save that for next segment. Coming back after this, Sam will tell us. Why he's still maybe not 100% sold on the Hawks having a better chance to knock off the Bucks here in the Eastern Conference Finals. Step aside here on The Word with G. Take a little bit of an elongated break. We're going to combine a couple of the breaks, do a little radio magic. We'll go two breaks instead of three. Come on back. And if you want to join the conversation, again, hit us up. 423-648-1051. Again, 423 423- 648 648-1051. Jump in on the NBA conversation with myself and Sam Dusenberry Jr., host of the Sam D podcast. We're coming back at you right after this here on ESPN 1051 The Zone. So do the Hawks have the goods to down the Bucks? Rejoining us, Sam Dusenberry, Jr., host of the Sam D Podcast here on The Word with the G. Sam, right before the break, we sort of teased that, that you weren't sold that the Hawks do have the goods to down the Bucs. Why are you still not sold after game one that the Hawks can defeat the Bucs and move on to an NBA final? Despite Trey
1: Young going crazy, damn, they're putting up a 50-piece despite the contributions of John Collins, Solomon Hill, um, Herter, making big shots, despite all of that, despite the advantage of having a coach in Nate McMillan who can make in-game adjustments or even just in-series adjustments unlike his counterpart in Coach Bud, despite having a real closer in Trey Young, unlike, the other team whose closer, I guess, by default is Chris Middleton. Despite all of that, I don't think you're going to get the type of shooting performance you got from Chris Middleton last night throughout the rest of this series. But you're six, probably six, not going to get six, six,
0: what you got out of six, Drew Holiday, six, too, right? right?
1: Right. But I think for the Bucks to do what they do, Chris Middleton's got to be the guy. Yes, Giannis could do like he did game seven against the Nets and go crazy 40-plus, and he's a runaway freight train, downhill, killing on a block and stuff like that. I don't think that can happen here against the likes of Collins and Capella, which is a better combination than what he faced in, in against Brooklyn. But when Middleton is hot, everything else opens up when Middleton is Middleton and he's an all-star and he's a guy that gets max money. So he's a guy that's expected to perform at a high level. He's their number one option, which I think is the problem with Giannis and is that in the whole thing is that the best skill player allegedly is the second or third scoring option. So when Middleton is not right now, that puts more pressure on Giannis to be something that he's not, which is the number one option. And Drew Holiday As you know from from your days in Nola, he's hit or miss when it comes to depending on him to carry the scoring load. Despite all of that, I think you're going to get the ship righted with Chris Middleton. And if he's going to be the Chris Middleton that he was down the stretch against Brooklyn, I think that can be the thing that can carry them over the top and get past all the Trey Young stuff. So I think Trey Young's still going to be able to go crazy. I don't know if he's going to give you a damn near 50-piece Every night, I think he'll put up numbers like he did against the Knicks, where he might average 30. But in regards to why they brought in Drew Holiday to be that strong defender, and now you have Chris Milton, who's also a very good defender, and Giannis has a reputation of being a great defender. I don't know if he actually is that. That should be enough to get the Hawks up out of there. But as we've seen, Tybal, Ben Simmons, and Embiid was supposed to be enough. Mm Mm-hmm. To get the Hawks up out of there, Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, uh, D. Rose, uh, the Thibodeau meniscus tearing taskmaster uh, system was supposed to be enough uh, to get the Hawks up out of there. So I could be wrong again, but for it to happen, Chris Middleton is going to have to have a lot more nights like last night going forward.
0: And Trey Young, and I this, just don't see that. This is this is something I didn't mention but I wanted to throughout the show is that Trey Young scored or assisted on 72 of the 116 points last night for the Hawks. That's pretty impressive.
1: Hey, look, I, I would love to see what his usage rate is. Uh, in, in comparison to Luca, Luca, his, I had, okay, let me slow down to make sure I, I get all this, this analytics. Uh, Luca's usage rate against the Clippers was 45%. Let me compare that to some other guys. James Harden at his peak with Houston, when he was going crazy. I believe it was his MVP year. His usage rate was 40%. And we know how ball dominant he is. Mm-hmm. The point fraud. Usage rate is always in the mid to upper 30s. And we know how ball dominant he is. Luka was 45%. So I would love to see what Trey Young, who is handling the ball a lot like Luca was. I would love to see how high his usage rate is. So it's no surprise at all that he's able to contribute to every single bucket, seemingly at times, because the ball's always in his hands.
0: So you're still so, not—you're still not <laughs> still not believing that he can be the best player on a championship-caliber team.
1: Well, look, I think any team that wins a championship this year, you're going to have to do the whole asterisk thing. Ooh. I'm not a big asterisk guy, but really? there's no way you can have nine All-Stars drop from playoff teams, and, you know, that's not being held against whoever wins. Now, you can make that case for every single year, every every team has injuries, sure, but I've never seen a playoff run where so many injuries have been impacted on key players. It's not like, you know, Big Ragu, Deep, Deep in gets hurt for the Bucks. That doesn't really alter the rotation that much. We're talking about bonafide all-stars, all first-team NBA-type players that have gone down by the way of injury during these playoffs. That, to me, makes me look at a champion in a different way. Who did you beat to get there? You win the ring. The ring is a ring. The banner goes up. No one really cares. The fan base don't care. But when you're stepping away from it and you're not wrapped up in that mental illness that is fandom, and you're analyzing what a champion has done, you can't look at these teams. Look what the, if the Suns do it. Look what they had to go through. They beat an Anthony Davis list, Lake Show. Then they go up against a Jamal Murray list, Denver Nuggets. Now they're going up against a Kawhi Leonard list, L.A. Clippers. So did they really go through that hard of a gauntlet to get to the NBA finals? Yes, they still had to do it. But I really If the Suns win a championship, will you look upon this as such a fantastic team or a very fortunate team? It doesn't matter. They're, they still get rings. The point frog will feel validated, even though I, I could say campaign will have more of an impact on it than he did. But this is what it is. The ring is the ring. But, yes, whoever wins this championship, based off your playoff run, in my opinion, you have to go with the asterisk.
0: What about from the other's perspective as well, though? From the Eastern Conference, I, you have a valid perspective on where the Suns are going through, and their run has been aided by all sorts of injuries. But what about the Hawks? Where, yeah, they went through a Knicks team who wasn't clearly as as good as the number four their number four seed uh, would 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 say, and then they have to go through a Philly team. And I know Joel is a little hobbled, but he played and and he was really good in the series. I know Ben was a, was a bit of a mess, but he's healthy. He's playing just because he's mentally not fully there and then you go and you beat a Bucks team who doesn't really have a lot of key injuries, and then you go to the finals, and if you beat the Suns, that is a full Suns team with Chris Paul, Devin Booker. That's pretty impressive.
1: I, I could also flip that. You faced a, a team that overachieved in a weak Eastern Conference and got a 4-seed that never had a real bona fide number one option. You beat them. You go up against a Philly team that their second-best player can't or won't shoot and you beat them then you go up against a Milwaukee Bucks team that has a a coach that doesn't know how to make adjustments and their best player isn't effective as an offensive weapon so I could could spin it the other way I feel like it's more legitimate the way that most will take it but if you really psychoanalyze it in terms of the Knicks weren't as good as their record said or their seeding said the Sixers were a flawed team from top to bottom. And the Bucs, you could say some of the same things about the Sixers being flawed. The Bucs are flawed, where their second to third best player is their number one option. That's not how that's supposed to go. So I think you can make a lot of cases where, as you can spin and say that the Hawks have been able to run this gauntlet that's been unbelievable, you can certainly, or at least I think I can, I can certainly flip it the other way. And say, yeah, they ran. They how they also had a fortunate draw in who they had to go through.
0: Yeah, but uh, but at the same point, still injury wise, there wasn't a lot that was like, hey, look, they didn't, you know, they didn't face the Nets who were severely compromised, like the Bucks did. They didn't face the Lakers who were super hamstrung. They didn't face, as you mentioned, the Nuggets and now the Clippers. They haven't really dealt with a lot of that outside of maybe a little bit of Joel Embiid, but he played the entire series and. For all intents and purposes, now knocking on wood that Giannis is going to play this entire series and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. So, to me, if you look at both of these two teams, if you say the Suns and the Hawks are going to end up in the finals, I would say the Suns would have had an an easier road to the finals than the Hawks.
1: Oh, for sure. I'm not getting into the That's what I was comparing. My, My point is, too, I think whoever wins the championship, if the Clippers do it, I think it would be remarkable if they were able to get mm-hmm. a championship because of what they've had to go through just in terms of injuries on their own team. But that run has been a little weird. They had to face Luka, and Luka got hurt. You know, they had to go through Utah, and we saw what happened with Utah choking down the stretch. So there's a lot of things there that are variable where, you know, you could make a case for any of these teams, and you could put that after whether it's through injuries, whether it's through the draw whether it's through, through the fact that they, they had to face certain teams that have ineffective coaches or coaching systems. There's a lot of things here. If it's just injuries, then, yes, I agree with you. In regards to the draw has been very important, which made seeding very important. We saw teams openly tanking to get seeding for these, for these particular playoffs, and that has played a big factor in the certain teams making it as far as they did.
0: Sam Dusenberry Jr. again, our guest for just a couple of more minutes here on The Word with G. Let's quickly, before we end uh, and wrap up, Sam, let's talk a little bit about this other series, the Suns and the Clippers. It seems like Chris Paul probably will play tonight in Game 3. Doesn't look like Kawhi's going to play. Are you hearing anything about Kawhi? Do you think we see him back in this series? And is it all but curtains now for the Clippers? After having gotten down 2-0 in the last two series, down 2-0 in this series... Do you see them is there any way that they can possibly come back and and overcome the odds and get them back in themselves back into a series again in against the uh, Suns, Sam? I don't know if we. I, I still see you there, Sam. I don't know if we just lost you if you were in a bad service area, but. Um, Jump on, see if we can uh, we can get you back. I don't I don't know why we can't hear you yet, but um, apologize. Uh, we got a couple of more minutes left on the show. Uh, again, can't hear you, Sam. I don't know if you're still there, but um, yeah. And it's a, it's a tough situation for the Clippers to be in right now, down 0-2, But at the same time, they uh, they have to figure something out here. And again, it doesn't seem like. Kawhi Leonard's going to come back. So I'm not sure if they're going to be able to get him back, if he can get back, if he gets back, how effective he's going to be, and what might happen with the Clippers going forward. We dropped Sam. Unfortunately, I don't know if he lost some service or what happened with Sam Dusenberry Jr. We'll try to get him back here for the last couple of moments here on the show if he can uh, get himself back. But uh, yeah, going to be tough for the Clippers to uh, to come back from this one against the Suns, and let's see if we can get Sam Dusenberry Jr. back in the mix. Sam, we got you now? Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you now.
1: Okay. Not sure what happened there.
0: That yeah, was weird. I literally, I, I was... i cooking these uh, AirPods. <laughs> Did you hear the question about the, the Clippers and the Suns?
1: Yes. And you were asking if, if, if I heard anything on Kawhi. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll say it again. I'll make it real quick because I know we we're up against it. Uh, unless Kawhi goes to Germany to get that Kobe knee surgery, uh, there's probably very slim chances of him playing in this series. If he doesn't play tonight, that should tell you everything you need to know about that knee. And it kind of doesn't really matter anyway because no one in that series can stop Devin Booker. He's the best player on that floor even when Kawhi is there. He's elevated to that level to me, in my opinion. Uh, so I think it really doesn't matter. You see what they've done without the point fraud. He doesn't matter despite everyone giving him flowers for what he's done. Campaigns go out there and 18 assists and one turnover through two games. When the point fraud does that, everyone's throwing, you know, parades for him. Campaign goes out there and puts up the same production and no one's saying anything. So. They don't need the point fraud. It's not about him. The best player on that team and the best player in this series, and maybe even going forward in this whole playoffs, is Devin Booker.
0: Let me ask you this quickly about campaign. Again, we have about a minute left, Sam. So um, just quickly, he's somebody I talked about after that that second game, and he's somebody who's really stepped up in this postseason. I remember him just being the dancing buddy with, with Russell Westbrook pregame, doing the, their dances and whatnot to get him hyped up, end of the bench type of guy. How have you seen his game evolutionize over the years from that to where he is now, where he's playing major minutes and really contributing to a winning team?
1: He had to learn how to play, G. Uh, He bounced around. He was expected to be something that, quite frankly, he wasn't at that time, whether it was stops in OKC or Chicago. Uh, It took it to where he was out of the league and bottomed out and was kind of looked upon as a joke, as a bust, as a former first-round pick, and he had to go all the way to China to learn the game and to learn to play the point guard position because that's what he was expected. In college, he was more of a combo guard, more of a shooter, and he was expected to make the transition to the point. Didn't really work that way the first time around. He went to China, learned the skills. He pulled up with the Suns when they were 8-0 and in the bubble, got some of that experience there, and then he was able to transition to this year into a larger role with regular minutes. And you see what he's been able to do here in a big spot.
0: Follow him up on Twitter at the Sam D, TheSamD, T-H-E-E-S-A-M-D, at the Sam D pod as well on Twitter. Sam, appreciate the time. As always, you can find the Sam D Podcast wherever you find your podcast. Man, appreciate you as always. Thanks so much for being here with me every single week on The Word with G. Thank you, bro. I'll let you next week. There we go. Sam Dusenberry Jr. here on The Word with G. I want to say thank you to Nick Howard, those who listened, those who contributed as well. Appreciate you. Have a great rest of your day. Max Kellerman up next, and then we got Press Row. Three to six with David and Wells. Have a great rest today. I'll talk to you all. Same bad time, same bad place for a feel-good Friday tomorrow.